Welcome to another edition of our program, The Word of God, with Father Reed Henserling at All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. We are in the third Sunday after the Epiphany, the Epiphany being a singular day, that is January the 6th, where we celebrate the Epiphany of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The key scripture for that occasion is Matthew chapter 12, chapter 2, and this is the visit of the Magi to see Jesus in Bethlehem, and they offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The epiphany is the appearing of Jesus. It's his manifestation, and what he's going to do is he's going to, in the season of epiphany, show himself, reveal himself. Now, why is he doing that? Because he's born the Son of God, and born the Messiah, people don't know that he is. Now, it's been prophesied in the books of the Old Testament, but he has not appeared, and his people are waiting for him to appear. And so, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us evidence of Jesus' appearing. Now, in the Sunday readings, what I would call the Sunday lectionary, we have different readings throughout the Epiphany season, that point to what I just said. In the daily lectionary, obviously, there are more scriptures because we are looking at seven readings, seven days, instead of just one on Sunday. So, we are looking at the third Sunday after the Epiphany, the week of three Epiphany, from Sunday to Saturday, and we're looking at a continuation of Isaiah chapter 47 through Isaiah 51. We are now introducing a new book of the New Testament, epistles written by Paul. We are going to be looking at Galatians. Now, last week we looked at the end of the book of Ephesians. This will be Galatians. And then thirdly, our gospel reading, Jesus is in his ministry. He is in full throttle. He is preaching, he's teaching, He's casting out devils. He's dealing with the winds and the waves, walking on water, healing people. He's doing all kinds of things. Now, he is sharing with people the message of the gospel by proclamation, which we call preaching, and by uh, a teaching format where he's just telling them about certain things. And then finally, he's healing people. He's raising the dead. He's doing some amazing things. So that if someone has ears to hear, they can figure out that this is a very, very special person. He might even be the Son of God. He might be the Messiah. We need to pay attention to this. So let's begin with Isaiah chapter 47. Now remember, Isaiah is 66 chapters. Isaiah is a major prophet. Isaiah is about 40, is about uh, 700 years B.C., 700 years B.C., And he is prophesying mostly to the southern kingdom. And what you want to do, again, as you do each week in terms of reading the scriptures, you want to find a Bible that you enjoy. That's a good Bible. I'm using the ESV, English Standard Version, in case you want to know what I prefer. And you'll want to find a nice place to sit, a quiet place. Please try to refrain from reading the Bible Uh, in a noisy place or uh, where you've got a lot on your mind. You want to be able to hear what God is saying to you as you are reading. You want to concentrate on the text. 
I know sometimes I'm reading at inappropriate times, inappropriate places. A lot of is on my mind. But sometimes I'll just put it away until I'm really ready to hear what has to be said. The other way you might want to go is to listen to it audio-wise, besides reading it. Some of us uh, enjoy audio, enjoy hearing what the Word of God says, so that might be an opportunity for you also. In Isaiah 47, we continue with this idea of how great God is, how wonderful He is, how compared to the idols, He is greater than any idol uh, who cannot talk, who cannot speak, who cannot hear. And as you're reading this, you want to be looking for those kinds of ideas. Now, he's also dealing with the nations, as we see in chapter 47, verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. And then he just goes on and on and on and on. Sit in silence. Go into the darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. So he's speaking to the nation of Israel, but a lot of times God in the prophets or the prophetic books, he'll be speaking about the nations surrounding them because they have a very significant influence on the people of Israel. Remember, Israel is not in a vacuum here. They are surrounded by nations that do not care about God or know who God is at all. And so he's got to preserve these people until the Messiah comes. And he's got to keep them. Sometimes they want to destroy the nation of Israel and God cannot allow that to happen. In chapter 48, which is on Monday, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right, for they call themselves after the holy city, and they stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things, verse 3, I declared of old. They went out of my mouth, and I announced them. This is the power of God. He's able to announce what's going to happen. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. So here's this God, who is the one God, according to the Old Testament scriptures, who speaks, and he's able to make something happen. Okay? You have heard, verse 6 of chapter 48. Now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things you've not known. So I'm going to make these things known to you. Again, this is what the prophet does. I want you to believe them. I want you to receive them. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Of course, this is a, a theme throughout all of the scriptures. The ability of the prophet or God Almighty or the uh, leader to say the word of the Lord then the people hear the word of the Lord, and then they put that word into action for God's honor and for God's glory. On Wednesday, we look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, uh, and we see verse 5. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be a servant. Well, there's a very strong scripture for the importance of God creating us and how we are significant from the womb, which is a hotly debated topic today, the subject of abortion. But that would be a very strong scripture to support the idea that God has formed me from the womb, that he's created me, that I am a, uh, not a person when I am born into the world, but actually in conception. And God is present. God is there in that experience. Okay? Um, he says in verse 8 of chapter 49, Thus says the Lord, In the time of favor I've answered you. In the day of salvation I've helped you. So there he's talking to Israel. How have I been 
support of you, how I've taken care of you. You see all the surrounding nations. There's nothing that they can do to you. Trust me. Chapter 49, 13 to 23 on Thursday, 13 to 23. Behold, you, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Verse 16. God cares us about us so much that he engraves us on the palm of his hands. Your walls are continually before me. Okay? Lift up your eyes and see. They gather around. They come to you. Verse 18. You shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. And he talks about how important they are to him, how significant the people of Israel are. And in chapters 50 and 51, we continue this idea of the servant of Christ, of servant of God who eventually becomes the Messiah. He's called the Messiah in chapter 50. We have uh, that discussion, conversation, so please make note of that. In chapter 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Verse 1, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry for which you were dug. Look to me. So he's calling people to himself. He tells us how much he loves us. He tells us how he's taking care of us. He tells us that he doesn't want us to look at any other idols. He tells us that he doesn't want us aligning ourselves with other nations. He tells us how he's going to provide for us and destroy the nations that are against us. So when you read the prophet Isaiah, think about it as God speaking to you after you've gotten through the context of what's actually going there historically. But think about how God wants to protect you and take care of you and love you and cherish you. So enjoy those scriptures uh, this week. In the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with an extraordinary situation. He's dealing with a group of people from Galatia who are abandoning the words that he has shared with them. And they are believing another gospel. And this is a very famous um, series of chapters, six chapters in the book of Galatians. He says, quite amazingly, in chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So it is a very serious thing when someone takes the word of God and distorts it to their own ends or reinterprets it that's different from what it actually means. Very dangerous. So Paul says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've received, let him be accursed. So Paul in Galatians is sharing with us what the essence of the gospel is. The essence of the gospel, as you read through those six very important chapters, is about being justified by faith. The law has its value, the Mosaic law, but it does not have the power to save people. The power to save people is given through the death and resurrection of Christ and our faith and trust in him. And so faith becomes a very important commodity here. And secondly, it is not wise in any way at all to forsake the gospel that's been given to us and change it into something else. This is a tremendous uh, text. And we see in the readings this week, we start with Galatians chapter 1 on Monday, and we conclude on Saturday with the end of Galatians chapter 3. And so 
you want to be reading slowly, you want to be reading carefully, it's quite dramatic and it's quite emphatic. Justification by faith. We ourselves, in chapter 2, verse 15, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. We are not saved by keeping the law. Why? Because we can't keep the law. We can't keep it. What do we save through? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we have, who have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does justification by faith mean? It means that when you stand before Christ at the judgment, you are saved because Jesus because becomes your representative. He becomes, if you will, your, your legal counsel. To be justified is a legal term. It means that you may be a sinner and I may be a sinner, but you are wearing the righteousness of Christ. And when you are judged by Christ, what he sees is righteousness. When he looks at you, when he sees that exterior, he sees righteousness. And so you are justified by your faith in Christ. Not because you and I are not sinners or we are perfectly clean, but what Christ has done for us. And because we have confessed our sins and put our faith in Christ, we are justified. We are not justified by keeping the law because if it determined, was determined by the law, no one would be justified, as I just read, because we cannot keep the law. He calls them foolish in chapter 3. Who has bewitched you? It was before, chapter 3, verse 1, before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Did you have faith? Is that what saves you? Or is it by your working of the law? Remember, Jesus had a big problem with the Pharisees because they concluded that they were keeping the law and, they were just, and thereby were justified by God. But they weren't. Because they did not have faith in Christ, that became, if you will, their Achilles heel. Are you so foolish? He says in chapter 3, verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Is the flesh really going to save you? Is there any way that you can keep following God through the flesh? No. The only thing that can save you is your faith in Christ, and that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Chapter 3, verse 10. No one is justified before God by the law. Chapter 3, verse 11. The righteous shall live by faith. And so the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is faith in Christ, not works of the law or merit or works righteousness, but by faith in Christ. Well, enjoy this phenomenal series of chapters. Chapters 1, chapters 2, chapter 3. Chapter 3 particularly is quite fantastic in, in terms of Paul's discussion about what faith actually is and what actually constitutes salvation. We have been journeying with Jesus in the book of Mark. Now what we're trying to do is watch this man. Last week we looked at chapters 3 and 4. We, we saw how Jesus, uh, with the parable of the sower and all the teachings that he had, so he's a man of teaching. He is a man that heals. There are great crowds that are following Jesus. People are very excited about him. He calms a storm. 
He has the power over nature. He is healing a person that has a demon. Chapter 5, he heals a person and rescues a person that has demonic activity. Now, who has power over that, right? Except Christ. Now, again, what you're doing is you're looking at each of these events and you're saying to yourself, can anybody do this? Has anybody ever done this before? Has this ever been documented so well? And the answer is, I don't think so. So how is this person doing all of this if he were not God? Remember, on December 25th, we celebrate the incarnation. That is, the pre-eternal Son of God becomes man. He, the flesh comes upon him. He, he is not born he has always existed, and now he takes on human flesh. In his taking up of our humanity, along with his divinity, we have this extraordinary person on the pages of Scripture. So, in Matthew, we are looking at several more healings. The healing of the woman and Jairus' daughter, a raising of a person from the dead, and the healing of a woman with an issue of blood who touches Jesus, and Jesus wonders how power has gone out from him. And he asks, who touched me? And she appears, and he says quite boldly, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Then he goes to Jairus' daughter's house, and people believe. They laugh at him. They think that this is the craziest thing that ever was. People are weeping. They laugh in verse 40. And he says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. She's about 12 years old, and she arises from the dead. Who is this person? He calms the wind and the waves. He walks on the water. He casts out devils. He does amazing miracles. People touch him, touch his clothes, and they're healed, and he even raises the dead. Now, one of the big problems, though, folks, is that if there is no faith, there is very little healing. So there is a juxtaposition between faith and actual healing. Okay? So look for that as you're reading through the Gospel of Mark. He sends out the 12 apostles in chapter 6, and he gives them authority to do great things in his name. Remember, the kingdom needs to be extended. His message needs to go out. He's not going to use his message to go out just for himself. He's going to do that with his disciples. He's going to call people together, which he has, 12 men, and they are going to go out and do his ministry and, if you will, multiply his ministry. He feeds the 5,000. He takes the five loaves and the two fish. He multiplies them, and he provides for the needs of the people. So he not only satisfies our physical hunger, he satisfies our spiritual hunger. He not only satisfies our spiritual hunger, he satisfies our physical hunger. He's interested in all phases of, of, um, of our lives. And then, as I said earlier, he walks on water and does something quite impossible. Heals the sick, raises the dead. When he goes into villages and cities and countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplace and he implores that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. And then finally, in chapter 27, he has this wonderful conversation with the Pharisees who really don't understand what he's doing and don't appreciate him and don't care about him. But 
He is patient with them. He wants to teach them the way of God. He wants to teach them spiritual truths. So enjoy your reading this week of Isaiah and Galatians and Mark. There's a lot to think about, and I pray as you are reading, the Holy Spirit would speak to you and share with you the truths of each of these texts. God bless you abundantly.